0: The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians uh, chapter 5, although, to be honest, we're going to be going through, in some ways, the entire book this morning, which is a little ambitious on my part, I admit. Um, but but I want to—we've been looking at walking in wisdom and the skill of, of walking in uh, in the spirit, walking in the, the, the idea that I, I'm supposed to be love and light because of what, how Christ has transformed me, the grace that I've received. How do I, how do I live in this grace? And last week we looked at the fact that we need to create a space for grace, that we need to, to think about the structure of our lives, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our days, our weeks, our years, and, and create this create space for grace in our lives so that we can, in a sense, cultivate this garden that God is doing in our lives. And the second skill that I want to look at this morning is, as I put up here, living out the story. Living out the story, which is, um, I struggled all week with, with how to explain what I want to say because it's in Scripture and we're going to look at that, but, uh, but it's somewhat difficult to maybe wrap your mind around initially because it's not always the way we think, and I admit that. But it's a skill that you need to have as you think about walking in the Spirit and living out the faith that you have, walking in grace. And, and so uh, maybe to illustrate this morning the, the, the challenge of it, uh, one year, uh, we, a group of us guys went up to the Boundary Waters, and we were in the Boundary Waters for three or four days, and we got out. And for me, it's always a refreshing time. You get to both, in a sense, be alone, but at the same time have and, and just enjoy God's creation overall. And it's, it's usually a chance for me to reconnect with God, to enjoy God in various ways, and it was good. But on the way back, we were talking about what we'd learned, what we'd what experienced, and, and one of the guys kind of just made the offhand comment. He's like, but how do, you, how do you experience God in the Boundary Waters? You know, And I was like, what? You know, it's just like, it just stopped me in my tracks, in a sense, because I was like, like that's one of the main reasons I go to the Boundary Waters is to experience God. Like, what do you mean you, you, you didn't experience Him in the Boundary Waters? And I, I realized over time in some ways that the, the challenge is that you you go into to go through life overall, and even going into some place like the Boundary Waters that's beautiful and, and and enjoyable and it's fun, it's challenging at the same time, and you don't necessarily connect with God through that because. It, you're looking for some experience of God or some uh, some feeling of God that That's not how God operates, in a sense. It's not the way God works. Yes, he does miracles, and he does amazing things, but in the normal, mundane areas of life, even, in a sense, even somewhere as special as the boundary waters, life is just life. You have to wake up, you have to eat, you have to do what you need to do during the day, and then you've got to rest at the end, right? And and, and what does that look like to say that I... And walking with God in the midst of just everyday normal life. Because that's what he's saying in Ephesians 5. He's saying walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom in the midst of everyday normal life. When a lot of times I'm like, I don't see God in the midst of everyday normal life. You know, I just don't see it necessarily. So this week, my wife was gone uh, to senior high camp with, as a counselor for the girls with the senior hires. So it was me, Kaisa, our oldest, and our three youngest at home. Now, fortunately, Kaisa's very responsible. So in some ways, my, my week was relatively easy I had to put out a few fires, and I had to do a few things, but Kaisa's pretty amazing, and so I, that part of my life wasn't that hard, but I had a few problems with my cars that I wanted to work on, and one of those was my, we discovered right before she left that our Suburban was leaking gas out of the fuel tank. You know, It's like a problem that you can't just let go. You know what I mean? Like, hey, and I'll just keep driving. So, so I was like, I've got to fix this. And I, I had, you know, I was going with, with trepidation because I actually had done it with another vehicle and uh, it, 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 it dropped that fuel tank and fixed it but it was not an easy job. In fact, my father-in-law, who loves to mechanic on the side, in a sense, is like, I talked to him, and he's like, well, I'm glad I'm not down there with you. I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> thanks a lot. You know what I mean? So fortunately, uh, one, of, one of my community group members, he's like, hey, I've got time on Tuesday. I'll show up and help you. And I was like, okay. Now, he's not a mechanic either, but there's something about having someone else do it with you that goes a long way, right? And so, he's like, you know, just dropping the fuel tank is going to be a challenge. It's, it's going to be hard because those bolts are—they get rusty up there. I was like, I know, I understand. I will try to make it as easy as possible. Um, and I, I set it up on on Tuesday, and before he had come, I'd gotten the bolts out. That was the easy part. It turned out to be. So we we dropped the tank down. And, and look at it and we and the fuel pump to the tank is in the tank, okay? You understand how this works? So you have this fuel tank, you like your fuel tank for your car, and on top is a hole that your fuel pump sits in and it sits in the tank. And the problem is, on Chevys, I admit, they're not the greatest engineered vehicles in the world, okay? But on Chevys, what happens is is that the the fuel tank traps all the the water and the dirt, etc., and it sits on top of that, and it rusts out the fuel pump. And that was the problem, actually. It wasn't the fuel lines that were leaking. It was the metal had rusted so much that it was now leaking out of the fuel tank, fuel pump whenever the fuel pump kicked on. Great problem to have, you know. So, so I'm like, okay, we got to take this off. Actually, when we started to take the fuel lines off of the f- a fuel pump, they just literally broke off, like the metal just like mm-hmm. broke off. But then we ran into the real problem, which was we couldn't get the fuel pump out of the fuel tank. It was rusted so hard onto that fuel tank that it was stuck. Like, end of story. Like, you thought you could do this but you can't, you know? And so uh, we decided, you know what? The best thing to do is re- just replace the whole thing. And I'm like, replace the whole thing? Replace the fuel tank? But actually, we, we live in a beautiful world, America, and they have old stuff that's just sitting in, in, uh, in, in junkyards everywhere waiting for you to buy it, you know? So went to the junkyard, bought a new fuel tank, bought a... Bought a a new fuel pump with that, and we put it in except another problem. Like that fuel line that came off where it broke off, it was actually just the rust was so bad it was rusted together there. We couldn't even get the fuel line off the fuel pump. So we had to replace. I call up my father. He's like, replace the fuel line. I'm like, okay, great. Replace the fuel line. So we get the whole thing done. It was it was way more work than you wanted it to be, but we got it done. And, and my friend said, as we're, as we're putting it all together, he's like, if this doesn't work, if your car doesn't start, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and for two seconds, I'm tempted. Don't work. You know, I want to see a grown man cry. <laughs> Except I realized if he's going to be crying, I'm going to be crying too at that point. Two men groaning and crying is not a pretty picture, right? So fortunately, it all worked. But you have to ask the question is, where in the midst of all of that was God, right? I mean, we're just putting, we're just trying to put a fuel tank in, and you're like, well, God would make it easy, you know, he would just, you know, take the fuel pump out, it would all work, everything would be good. But we know that that didn't happen, so where's God in the midst of all this mess, Right? And when we think about God, we have to think about God in the midst of our stories. Because the stories show the mess that we're in, right? They show the ups and the downs of life. They show the the twists and the turns of life. And we have to say, God is not just in these neat little pockets, because then he's not really in life. Nor is he just in the high points, the miracles, the amazing things, because then where is God when I'm in the low points, the valleys, the hard times? God only shows up in the high points? That's not the God of the Bible. So God is in the midst of our stories, He's in the midst of life. And he wants us to know that and to live in the midst of it. And Paul is writing Ephesians, and one of the things that he's doing is saying, you've got to see God in the midst of your life. Not just on the high points like, yeah, I, I asked God to forgive my sin and he did. Not just in the, the, the midst of, man, I was really praying about this and he finally answered prayer. But in the midst of the ups and downs, the twists and turns of life, God is in the midst of it. And you're actually living out his story in the midst of your life. And if you don't get wisdom and skill in doing that well, you will struggle throughout your life. You'll struggle to relate to God. You'll struggle with, as we'll see going through this, you'll struggle with shame and just the the sense of defeat and discouragement that comes. And so this morning I want to show you in Ephesians how Paul has woven the story into the book even, so that even as he's saying, hey, you need to walk in love and walk in wisdom, he's also saying to do that well, you need to live out the story of the gospel. You need to live it out. You need to understand how it's working in your situation and in your life on a day-to-day basis. So let's go back to the beginning, right? Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He's going all the way back to the beginning, right? He's saying, hey, at the beginning of the story, your story doesn't start when you were born. Your story starts when God decided to create the world. And that's part of your story. He had intentions for you all the way back then. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He's saying, look, this is all from the beginning. God is, 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 is planning to bless you. He's planning to adopt you, right? He goes on. That's the same one, I think. There we go. Jed read this earlier, right? This is part of the story, right? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We understand that God created the world, but then we chose to disobey, and death came into the world, and we walked in death along with everyone else, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's part of the story. Sin, death, destruction, shame, they're all part of the story. But it doesn't end there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is part of the story, God's grace. God steps into the story, starts to act in the story, and he rescues us from sin and death through Jesus Christ. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. He resurrected us in Christ, right? And raised us up with him and seated us in him, with him, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Like, in Christ, all of these things are happening to us. And, you know, we haven't experienced them physically in the story. They are part of our story. In fact, the story doesn't end so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable wretches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is our story. You know, it, it's, it's kind of popular uh, these days in, in various movie venues, you know, kind of just to play around with the idea of multiple universes, right? The idea that you can have multiple universes where multiple stories are happening. Um, and the idea, in a sense, is that an infinite possibility of infinite things could, the, the, all of those possibilities are actually possible in some universe, right? And so that, that any, any, uh, any, any universe you might live in, you think a variety of things could happen. And in some ways it feels cool because then you're set, you're set up with the idea that, well, hey, anything's possible. That feels freeing. But the reality is, as you see, as you watch those stories unfold, is everyone wants to get back wants to get back to their universe, even with all its problems and its and its issues and its challenges. Why is that? Why do they want to get back to the their universe if maybe some of the other universes were better? And the reality is, it's because it's your story. Yes, there's so many infinite possibilities, but you feel like you belong in your story, even with all its challenges and its difficulties and its problems. This is your story, and it's, and it's it fits ultimately in God's story. This is this is what He is doing in the world, and. He could have done so many different things, and yet he chose this. He chose for you to be born in a certain date and, and have a certain family and have certain backgrounds and, and have certain experiences. All of that is part of your story so that you can see his story. You can understand you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you walked in those things. And yet, God, in his mercy, entered into the story in Christ and showed his kindness to you in Christ. And he wants that story to be rich in you. That's why he prays in Ephesians chapter 3 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's saying, I want you to be able to, to know God's love, that this story of God's love for you in Christ Jesus is really real to you. Why do I bring this up? Well, he's, when we get into the next part of Ephesians chapter 5, he's going to start to apply it. He's going to start to say, husbands, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. He he doesn't say just love your wives. He references the story, right? He says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's there's a reason why he goes back to the story. He's saying, Look, there's a story here that, that, that is part of what is going on here. And it's not just that you need to do certain things as a husband to be good with God. It's that you need to realize that you're living out the story of God even in your marriage. Which is a daunting and mind-blowing thing in a sense, is it not? So I, I just want to help you understand maybe the challenges of this a little bit further and then jump into it. Because really what I'm saying, I'm going to skip ahead here, Really what I'm saying is that as we think about these verses, as we think about this story, and he's just, re- I'm just skipping ahead because he references the story all through these things and I'm going to get ahead to my main point here eventually. There we go. The big idea is live the story of grace. We need to live the story of grace. And what is, just just—just for a second, think about the what, what a story is. A good story, <laughs> we've heard maybe some pure poor ones, but a good story has a few elements to it. A good story has unmet desire. There's some desire that needs to be met. They're like somebody, somebody's personally invested <laughs> in what's going on. But a good story also usually has hard realities about it. Like there's just th- some things that aren't going to change in the story that you have to, in a sense, live with or work around or do something about. There's hard realities that are there. Like, I can't really drive my Suburban when it's leaking gas, right? There's a hard reality there. I've got to do something about it. Unmet desire. I want to drive my Suburban because I want to put all my family in it and not have like three cars going somewhere. That's not good. (laughs) So I've got hard reality. I've got unmet desire. And it comes together in a belief That results in action i have i believe something about the situation in this case i believe that potentially i could fix it myself which was a little bit tenuous of a belief but it came right down to it but then that belief results in action i try i move forward something happens and usually at the end you have a result it's not always the result you expect right and this is a story. And you're going every day you're living your story. There's unmet desires you have in your life. There's cold, hard realities that you run into. And then you mix that those two together with some kind of belief, some kind of faith that then you act on. And the, the reality is that you're either acting out of your own resources, out of your own abilities, out of your own beliefs or you're living in God's story and acting out of his grace and believing his, his mercy is in your life. You're, you're living in one of two stories, your own or God's. And so the, the, the problem is, is that as he gets into Ephesians chapter 5 and he says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, a husband says, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll live the story. And they live the story right up until their wife comes at them and it's like, you failed. You know, like you're supposed to do this and you didn't. (laughs) And all of a sudden, at that point in time, instead of living the story of grace, they're living the story of, I've got to fix this myself (laughs) a lot of times. I've got to solve this problem myself. And Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5, you need to live out the story even when your wife comes at you and says, you failed, you're you're an idiot, and you agree with her. Yet, you need to live out the story of grace. So I want to kind of break this down a little bit this morning and help you learn the skill and live the skill of living out the story of grace. So the first point is the challenge of an authentic story, the challenge of an authentic story. Why is, this, why is this a challenge? Because we realize, especially in today's age, where there's multiple stories and we know we can spin any story in any different direction, what's the most authentic way to tell our story, right? If you got, got right down to it and you're like, I was going to tell a story about my week this week, what story would you pick? Ever think about that? If I said, tell me a story about your week, what story would you pick and why? Some of you would pick a story that tells nothing about your life because you really don't want to reveal yourself. You're just like, well, if I'm supposed to tell a story, I'll pick this one, you know? And it's actually a way of hiding yourself rather than revealing yourself. Some of you would pick the funniest story possible because you just want somebody to laugh at you. You know what I mean? That's what I, I picked this one because I just want you to laugh at my ridiculousness in some ways, thinking I could do it myself. Sometimes you pick a story because you're trying to, to, to show who you really are, but then you wonder, well, who am I really? I don't even know myself, who I am. How do I tell a story about myself? And there are some things to think about in telling an authentic story the first thing to realize, especially for every human being in the world, is your story didn't start with you. You are not the narrator of your own story. Like, okay, I, you know, you ever watch a movie where we like, like, it starts with, and I was born, right? You know, well, even if you can remember back to being born, which none of us can, uh, yet there's so many things about your story that start that you don't get to say. You know, you don't get to say how much your parents loved you between ages zero and three. You don't get to say um, what what happened in those years. You don't get to control those things. They're just, they're just part of your story with, without you even being able to have a voice in that story. And often when we explore our story, we find parts of our story that we don't like. All right. One part of my story that I, I don't really like is... Um, my mom was a nurse, and I, I don't, I say all nurses are like this, but I, I i don't know. I've seen, I've met a few of them over the years, and one thing that nurses do is they notice, notice danger. They, they notice potential problems. Why? Because it's part of their job. If they don't notice potential problems and solve them, then people die. You know, I, I get the problem here, okay? Um, and, but, but, but she raised us to notice potential danger and to react to it. So I'm an adult now. I've got kids. I'm sitting at a parade. We're waiting for the parade to start. There's nobody in the street. My kids are start playing in the street, and all of a sudden my danger things start going off. Like, whoa, wait a second. This isn't good. Get out of the street, kids. Like, why? I don't care. I don't care if they're in the street right now. They're just perfectly fine. They're perfectly safe. But there's a part of my story that kicks in just like, it goes out of my mouth before I can stop it, like, get out of the street. And you're like, no, pull back, pull back, pull back. But I don't like that. But it's just part of, part of my story, part of how I react when, when things go on. Why? Because my mom is a certain way and I I've, was raised, I lived with her for 18 years at least, you know? And so things come out of me that I don't, necessarily like it's not a big deal that particular one but but there's other things like that that we would run into our story and it's just it's a hard reality in our story this is who you are this is how you were raised this is things these are things about you we also have in our story unmet desire like cars breaking down like who actually wants their car to break down right like how many stories have you heard from me about my cars breaking down when i go on vacation right yeah at least five yes yeah. Because we, we have these desires and, and our stories don't go the way we expect them to go a lot of times. We also realize that in trying to tell a, a, an authentic story, we have multiple potential narrators. Like, who's, who's going to tell the story and how is it going to work? In our, in our world today, right? One of the, the biggest ways that we determine in our culture at large, I should say it this way, who, who should be the narrator of the story, is we ask the question, well, who has suffered the most or who's been most victimized? They have the most authentic story. We should listen to that story. Well, why? And I get we should listen to stories of suffering and victimization, but why is theirs the most authentic? Is that the way we determine who's authentic and who's not? Because then if I haven't suffered as much as the other person, I don't have authentic- authenticity. You, get, you see the problem of comparing, and we'll get into that. What do I do with desires others find as undesirable? What do I do with things where I just, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate even to talk about? How do I bring things up? And then of, oftentimes in stories, uh, why did I do what I did? We, we, we have to admit, my wife was going through a Bible study on um, uh, the gospel for, uh, f- for, for her personality. It's, a, it's an interesting Bible study. And She's like, she's like I, when, you're, when, you're, when you realize as you're going through life and you're making decisions, that, you, that no decision you make is perfectly pure, right? You're, there's always things about it you're like, oh, that's not the greatest reason to do something. And you have to repent sometimes of even the, the actions you take, or at least parts of the reasons why you do certain things, even the good things you do. So so telling an authentic story is a real challenge. How do I tell my story in such a way that makes sense of it? And here's where we have to choose, in a sense. We have to choose. And Paul is saying here, in a sense, right, with, with all of Ephesians, he's saying the fundamental story of the gospel defines reality for us. You can pick another philosophy or you can pick some other way of determining reality. But Paul is saying this is the story of history. It's not just a story that's made up like the Greek gods, like, oh, they have these problems and they're just like us in a sense. Nor is it some philosophy that's like just, okay, you've got to be as self-controlled as possible. That's the way you can have an ideal story. He's saying the fundamental story of the gospel is the reality of this universe. God made this world. He made it. It's his story. It means partially that our stories are not just our stories. It's part of God's story. Like, like the reason why you're here is not just because you are so important. It's because God thinks you're important. He's put you into his story for a particular reason. And do we understand all of it? No. But it's his story, not just ours. He made this world, it's His. And when we talk about doctrine, the truths of the Bible, we're not talking just about, well, you've got to get it right, you've got to get your doctrine right. What we're really saying is, if you want to understand the story well, then understand the truths of God's Word. If you want to understand what grace is, then you have to understand the story, and you have to understand the truth, the truths that drive the story. This is God's story. We, we sinned. Adam and Eve, our forefathers, they chose to rebel against God, and we are no different from them. We choose to rebel against God. We choose to go our own way, we choose to ignore Him. When, when God comes to us and, and says, Where are you? we tend to hide rather than show up. This is the fundamental story of our world. The fundamental story of our lives. Then there are certain things that are good about this story that, that we need to celebrate. The first one is the joy of submission. That is not ultimately our story. You know how actually so freeing that is when you when you embrace that that this is not just my story. Like I've got a like I've got a story. I only live once, and I've got to get a, I, I got to get all I, the juice I can out of life. Well, what if you live forever? You know what I mean? Like. Like, how would that change your story? <laughs> because God says you do. God says you live forever. H- how does that change things? The pursuit of goodness. In this story, God does want good things to happen. He does good in his story. And he encourages us to do good things too, right? There's, there's good things that can happen in this story, but there's also bad things that happen in the story and therefore there's, part of the story is the repentance that we bring to the story. That when we decide I don't have all the answers, I didn't do it right the first time, that, that actually produces hope in the story rather than despair. Why? Because this is God's story. It's a God's story of redemption. He's doing something different in this story than just saying you get the consequences of your actions. Right? Sometimes parents, that's what they tell the, the kids, the story they tell their kids, because they want them to get it, right? I want you to get it, that if you mess up, there are consequences. And so we tell stories to our kids, like, hey, I did this, and this happened to me, and, oh, it was terrible, you know. Well, if you do this, this will happen to you, and it'll be terrible too, so don't do it, you know. And there's, there's reality to that. But there's another reality, that God is at work even in our mistakes, that he redeems us, that he works, that he provides that his grace is in and amongst even the messes that we make. This is the important story of your life, of your world. And if you don't get it, if you don't grasp it, if you don't, in a sense, live it, then you're going to struggle. And so how do we do that? So I'm, Now I'm going to kind of move to how, how do we do it? i got about 10 minutes, okay, so not fly a little bit, but here we go. So the, the, the problem in living this story is that there's a hijacking of the story by shame. There's a hijacking of the story by shame. and I'm going to go back into Ephesians for a minute, so it's like, well, it's almost like that was all introduction I'm starting now, but, but it's not. So, but here we go. So go back to Ephesians chapter 1. What does he pray for in Ephesians chapter 1, right? He says, I, I, he lists off all these things, the spiritual blessings, then he says what? I pray that you might know what is the, the power of his resurrection? I want you to know the, the, the amazing grace that you've received, right? Why does he have to pray that? Well, have you ever met a Christian who knows they're a Christian but doesn't experience it? Like, doesn't experience forgiveness, doesn't remember that they're chosen, doesn't remember that they're redeemed. They're always thinking about their problems and wondering, How, what, what kind of mess did I get myself into? How am I supposed to get out of my mess myself? Because Paul knows that shame is always present. You ever think about what it happens if you don't grasp the love that he prays for in chapter three? What if you don't grasp the height and the depth and the breadth of Christ's love for you? What, what happens to you? you? You know you're saved, but you don't know you're loved. that fills you with shame, honestly. Shame takes that and twists it. It destroys you. Think about chapter 6, jumping to the end of the book, right? He tells us to stand. <laughs> As we wrestle with flesh and blood, he just tells us to stand. Just stand, in a sense, in the grace that you've received. What, what, what does Satan want you to do Satan wants you to run and hide. He wants you to give up. He wants you to say, oh, this story that I'm in, uh, it's not sufficient for me. I've got to go run and hide and hope that it'll all just go away. Or I've got to do something different. I've got to pick a different path. Shame hijacks our story. And it's it's only mentioned once in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, where he talks about things that are shameful to talk about. But in Romans chapter 1, and he makes it explicit, right? He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, shame gets you drunk when you should be filled with the Spirit. Shame is that response out of our story, right? So let's go back to just how does this work? How does shame hijack the story? Let's take the guy who who's his wife is coming at him and saying, You've failed. What does what shame often cause him to do? Oh, I've failed. I'm afraid. Well, shame might cause him to be like, okay, I'm gonna go buy a new car, even though I can't afford it, because hey, look, we have this new car, aren't we awesome? We're okay as a family, right? We have this new car. Honey, look at how much I love you. I bought you a car, you know. We're great again, right? And and the wife's tearing her hair out, like, we had no money for that. What are you thinking? It's made it even worse, right? Or what does he do? He often just will just hide, like, okay, if I messed up, hopefully all this will just go away. I'm just going to, I'm not going to engage my wife. I'm not going to show her I love her. I'm not going to listen to her. I'm just going to hope that my failure gets shoved under the rug and we don't have to deal with it. Parenting. Parenting is a great place for shame, to hijack your story. Why? Because you're afraid your kids won't turn out well. You're afraid and shame takes that fear and it adds something from your past. Shame is never something that just operates usually on its own. It takes some other emotion you have and it hijacks it to say, you need to do something about this. So maybe you're afraid your kids won't turn out very well and it re- you remember how your parents didn't turn out very well or how you had struggled when you were a kid and you say, well, I don't want to do what my parents did and you swing the pendulum all the other, all the other direction and you, you mess up in a different way. <laughs> Or you mess up in the same way. Shame takes our stories and it usually tries to to lock our reaction in place. It likes, I want to just lock the plot. I I know the way the plot goes and this is the way it's going to happen. And so we say, well, I've got to protect my kids from everything. In order for them to turn out well, I need to protect them from everything. Or, I can't can't control this. I'm just going to give up and let them watch YouTube for hours, you know. Shame makes you quit. When you should, just stand. Trusting God and moving forward. You know, I was reading, uh, Elon Musk is kind of in the news, right? And I was reading an article about him. And he was saying, look, the major philosophies of our world have failed. You know, our world's just falling apart. Nobody really has any hope for the future and he says, you know what I think we should do? You know, if you know Alan you know where it's headed. He's like, I think we should have curiosity about space. You know, like, if we, can get, if we can get people to Mars, and we can get people into outer space, so we can spread the human beings over the world, just we could all be united around that, right? I mean... Well, that's where he wants to head anyway, right? He wants you to spend your money so that he can get to space. But, I don't, but the point is, is that actually curiosity is not a bad thing. See, what shame does is it wants to say, I, you can predict how this is going to go. And it hijacks your story by saying, you know how this story is going to go. It's going to be a story of tragedy, a story of failure. There's no hope for you here. You better do something different rather than trust God. When we trust God, we have a sense of curiosity. Like, okay, man, I didn't expect my, my fuel pump to be frozen in place in my fuel tank. I've, not, I've failed, but I wonder how this could go, you know? I wonder how we're going to solve this. It'll be interesting to see how God moves in the midst of everything. Because I don't know what to do now, right? So in the midst of life, rather than being hijacked by shame, we, we you have to step back and have a sense of curiosity. Like, what is God doing in the midst of this? What can God do through this? How can God work? Because God is not locked into one, one way of doing things. He's got all these different ways of solving problems and ultimately he, we know the end of the story. We know he wins, right? So, We need to live out the story by applying truth and love. It goes back to what he said all the way along here, that we speak the truth and love to one another. Again, we know these truths. How many of us could say, yes, I know I'm chosen, I know I'm redeemed, I I know I'm, I'm adopted. But then we move into the realms of other believers and we're like, well, man, they've got more skill at this than I do. And wow, they seem to be way more spiritual than me. And wow, they, they seem to be having more of an impact over here than I am. And instead of feeling joy and peace and love in Christ that we're being made into a temple, we're instead looking at all the other Christians around us and being like, well, I'm just a failure, you know, I because mean, they got it way better, better together than I do. How can a God ever use me? And that's shame talking, not God. Instead, you should think, hmm, God's using them, and he's the same God. He can use me too. I wonder how he's going to use me, right? I mean, why why do we jump to the shame thing? Because shame inserts itself in various hidden ways and hijacks our story, but instead we need to cling to the story. You think of the, the parable that Jesus told, the parable of the talents right? You know, it gives one talent to, to, God, to some guy, two talents to another, five talents to another. It says, hey, go use it. I'm going to be back in a little bit. You know, and the five-talent guy, so guy uses his, the two-talent guy uses his, the one-talent guy, what does he do? He goes and buries it. And then when the king comes back, right, that he brings, he digs it up, brings it back, and he's like, I knew you were harsh, and I didn't want to lose it, so I didn't use it. And the king's like, you missed the entire point. He's like, I wasn't worried about using it, or losing it. I wanted to see how you would use it. (laughs) I wanted wanted you to believe that you could trust me (laughs) and walk with me and see what good could happen in the world by you just using what you have and, and that's the whole point of living out the story is if we let shame shut us down, if it, we let shame lie to us, if we let it hijack our story and tell us you're going to fail, there's nothing you can do, there's, and there's no hope for you, then you can, ha- you can know the truths of Scripture. You can know that you're redeemed. You can know that you're chosen. You can know that you're forgiven and you can never do anything with it. You can never let it change you. And, and, and sustain you, and help you, and encourage you, and, and propel you. None of those things will happen. And so we need to apply the truth of Scripture. Now, just practically, I'm out of time, so I'll, I'll tell you this is practically how I do this, okay? How do I live out the story? So, in the evening, you know that, you know where God in the evening says to Adam and Eve, where are you? And, and, the, and, of course, in the story in Genesis 3, they're hiding. But, but another example is the, the example of David in the Psalms. David in the Psalms is like, well, I'm here, God, and I'm hurting. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm, I'm, I don't know what, what you're doing, God, and he's just writing it out to God. So in the evening... In a sense, I take some time and I just say, say, where has shame popped its head up in my life? Where have I felt like I'm going to fail, you know, as a pastor? Where do I feel like, well, you're not good enough as a pastor, or they're never going to want to hear from you, or, you know, you're, you're failing over here as a pastor. Where do those things pop up in my story? Where did, where did they happen? I need to pay attention to that. Why? Because God actually shows up when you feel ashamed and you turn to him with it. That's where God shows up. God shows up in the shame. God shows up in the hurt. God shows up in the questions. He doesn't always do it the way you expect, but that's where he shows up. So I just ask that question, and then I say, well, what what unmet desires did I have, and what hard realities did I face today, and how do I need to live out the story? of God's grace in my life? How do I need to trust Him? How do I need to wait on Him? How do I need to to just rest in Him? And how can I see Him working today, even in the midst of all of these things? Why? Because it's almost like I need to go back to the garden again and just have God say, where are you? And I'm like, well, here I am. I don't know what to do with this, God. I don't know how this is supposed to work, but I know that you're here, and that's what I want. And journaling for me is a way of doing that, of just stepping into the story and saying, okay, this is the story I'm living in, and I don't know where it's headed, and I'm curious about it, because I would love for it to head out good, good directions, and I would love to see good come, but how can I rest in God in the midst of it? Why? Because we live out the best story. You know what? I didn't know how I was going to solve the problem of my fuel tank, but I had a friend show up when I didn't expect a friend. I had a father-in-law give me good advice. I had a wife who wasn't at home so that I could spend more time doing it, frankly, and not worry about some things, just being honest. Uh, I had, I had uh, resources that I didn't even know about. You know what? You're going to run into things this week that you didn't expect, that you didn't know about. But you know what? God's going to show up in the midst of your story with grace. And you can find that grace and you can see that grace and you can live in that story or you can run to some other source of hope and power and find that it fails. But God never fails. Even in the midst of our low times, even in the midst of our difficulties, even in the midst of our, I don't know what's going on, God, You can always go back to God with those things, and he shows up. So will you live out the story? Will you think about how shame is trying to hijack your story and say, ah, I can't do this. There's no way. There's no hope. And instead say, here I am, God. What can you do? I need you. Because we live in grace, and we walk in grace, and because we have that grace we can be curious about what God's going to do next. Will you do it? Heavenly Father, help us to live in your story. Lord, shame wants to hijack me. It wants to tell me I'm a failure that I can do no good. I can't love my wife, I can't love my kids, I can't love my church. But you are with me. And you do use me. Not not, not because I am perfect and not because I don't make mistakes, but because you, you use even my mistakes to do good. And so God, we come to you with our shame. We come to you with our hurt. We come to you with our guilt. And we realize this is the story we want to live in. The story of your grace, your mercy, your love in Jesus Christ, because Christ came and he died on that cross and he rose again. So we have hope and love and forgiveness and mercy. Help us to never run away from this story. Help us to live in this story. In your son's name, amen.